Good morning, everyone. This is from the NIV translation of the Bible, John 4, 43 through 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Thank you, Johnny. So we're in week two of our series called Transformed, where we are looking at the seven miracles, the seven signs that Jesus performed as recorded in the Gospel of John. And last week, we were looking at the first one, which was when Jesus was in Cana, turning water into wine at a wedding. And in John chapter 4, where we are today, Jesus is back in Cana once again. He's been traveling around. He's been down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. He's been stirring things up down there. He's gone up through Samaria, and he has spent some time with the Samaritans. If you've heard the story of the woman at the well, he's been there, done that. And now he is back in Galilee, back in Cana. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. And so Jesus is in Cana. And he is approached by a man who has traveled to him from Capernaum. Now, we know that this man was a royal official. And so we can surmise from that that this was a man of some wealth, of some prosperity. And he probably had access to some pretty good resources available to him. And we find out that he has come, and it's a 20-mile trek, a pretty difficult trek up into the mountains, to come and see Jesus because his son is very sick. And so we can pretty much piece together or assume that he had access to whatever the latest medical treatments were, whatever resources that he could put his hands on, he would have had access to those, and they're not doing a lick of good. His son is very sick and on the verge of death, and so this man is desperate. He's desperate, and he makes this 20-mile journey from Capernaum to Cana to see Jesus. Apparently, he's heard about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And, you know, he's probably heard about what happened in Cana with this turning of water into wine, this, this incredible 
miracle. And he's heard about the things that have been happening in Jerusalem, what Jesus has been doing there. Obviously, this guy is up on Facebook or Twitter. You know, he is, he is plugged in. Word travels fast. And so he knows, I got to go see this Jesus. This, this is some sort of a miracle worker, and I need a miracle. And so he gets to Cana, and he finds Jesus. And it says in the text that you just heard that he comes to Jesus and he begged. If you read in the Greek, it's actually the imperfect tense. He was begging, which means he was repeatedly over and over. I like to like, picture it in my mind like this official is like desperately on his knees and he is begging Jesus, please, my son is sick. Will you heal my son? Okay, picture that scene. This man just kneeling before Jesus, begging him. Okay, so that's his request. Look at Jesus' response. This is fascinating to me. Jesus says, John four forty eight, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Is anybody else just kind of going, what? Like, is there a disconnect there for anybody else on this response? Okay, Man's begging. My son is dying. Please heal him. And Jesus kind of almost like steps back and he makes this broad, sweeping kind of analysis of of the state of affairs in Cana and in the region of Galilee and what's going on with the people. You know what, guys? Unless you see signs and wonders, you're never going to believe. Man, if I am that royal official in that moment, I'm sitting there going, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? My son is sick and dying. Would you please heal him? And you're saying something about, unless we see signs and wonders, we'll never believe. Okay, you know, whatever that means, Jesus, that's great. But could you heal my son, please? Right? I mean, I would have just been totally baffled. Because here's the deal. This father is laser focused on one thing. The immediate need that is right in front of him as any of us would be right that's all he can think about he has one goal in meeting with jesus and that is to get a miracle it's for his son to be healed that's his sole focus what's interesting in jesus response is we see that jesus is focused on something completely different than this and we see in the next verse basically jesus says this royal official Sure, you want a miracle? I, I give you the miracle. I mean, that's, that's no problem. That's fine. Go, your son will be healed. But Jesus' ultimate goal, we see in this passage, isn't the healing of this man's son. Jesus' ultimate goal, and we see how it plays out when the man heads back home and finds out that his son is well, and the time that his son was healed was the exact same time that he had had that conversation with Jesus. So he and his entire household come to faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus' end goal isn't the miracle. The end goal is ultimately so that this man will come to believe in him, that he is the son of God, and will put his faith in Jesus Christ and come into a vibrant vital relationship with the almighty God. See, Jesus' end goal wasn't transforming this one situation in this man's life. Jesus' end goal was transforming his entire life. His entire life. I want to tell you guys a story to help illustrate 
what's going on here with what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is all about. So, once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a man. And this man loved to travel. He loved to see the world. He loved to explore and have adventure. This is not a true story, by the way. So, this man decided that one of the things that he wanted to do was he actually wanted to see as many places in the world as he possibly could. And so he came up with this idea. He said, you know what I want to do? He wasn't crazy about flying, but he loved to drive. And so he decided that his goal was to drive like, everywhere in the world. He actually wanted to traverse every single continent in the world. And when he got to, like, the, as far as he could drive and he got to, you know, to, to the ocean, he was going to get a ferry and get his car shipped over to the next location. And he wanted to drive across every continent. He wanted to see the entire world by car. And so he talked to a bunch of friends and raised some corporate sponsorship. And he drained his whole savings account, his life savings. And he set out on this grand adventure drive across every single continent in the world. So as his journey started, it was great, beautiful weather, smooth roads, everything was going just so well. And that continued for a little while. But then as he got further on into his journey, he started getting into some more remote areas of the world. Places where he didn't have good maps, where the roads weren't paved, and he was just kind of going by feel. And in the really remote areas with the really difficult terrain, he found himself one day completely off his course, completely turned around, and he couldn't find a way to keep going. He's completely lost. The man started to freak out. He started to become unglued. There was nobody around, nobody that could help him, no gas stations anywhere around, and he started fearing for his life. So the man called out to God, oh God, help me. All of a sudden, Jesus appeared by the car. Jesus said, what do you need? I'll help you out. The man said, oh Jesus, I am so glad that you're here. You see, I'm completely off track. I don't don't have a clue where I'm going. Is there any way that you could help me get back on track? And Jesus said, oh, absolutely. I, I know this area really well. I actually made it. So um, I'd be happy to point you the way. And so he showed the man the route and he showed him how he would be able to to navigate and and to get around where he was and to get back on course. The man was so thankful. He said, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I just can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. Jesus said, sure thing. No problem. Is there anything else that you need? The man said, no, I'm good. I got it from here. Thanks, Jesus. And he pulled off. So, sometime later, the man had been going in some very difficult terrain, and it had been taking its toll on his car. And slowly, slowly, over thousands and thousands and thousands of miles, it was just starting to wear and tear on the vehicle. And eventually, the man was driving one day, and the car just died. And this, I mean, the car had been through all kinds of adversity and difficulty, and the car was going no further. Man was completely stranded, nobody in sight to be able to help him. And one more time, he called out to God, and he said, oh God, oh God. Jesus appeared again. 
by the man's car. And Jesus said to him, what can I do for you? What do you need? I said, Jesus, I am so glad you're here. My car is dead. I have driven this thing in the ground. I have beaten it up. I need a miracle, Jesus. Would you just, could you, could you fix my car? Jesus said, absolutely, no problem. Laid his hands on the car, and instantly the car was restored to pristine condition. He's got like a brand new car. And if you've ever seen that show, Pimp My Ride, Jesus like put some speakers in there. And like, man, he just, he just souped that thing up like you would not believe. The man is ecstatic. He can't believe what's going on. And so he's like, Jesus, thank you so much. And Jesus like, no problem. Are you sure there isn't anything else that you need? The man said, no, I'm good now. You just pimp my ride. I'm, I'm great. This is beautiful. So Jesus said, okay. The man drove off, left Jesus by the side of the road. Well, the journey took a lot longer than the man expected. He ran into a lot of other obstacles along the way. And um, he had to keep pushing back his target date of when he was going to complete this endeavor. And so his sponsor started to get a little bit tired of these, de- these deadlines keep getting pushed back. And the man turned out to need more money than he originally thought. And he eventually got to the place where his sponsor said, you know what, this is as far as we'll take you, you know, we're, we're not going any further. And so slowly this, the man's sponsors all turned away from him. And then all of his money dried out. And he was at a place where he was completely broke. Once again, sitting by the side of the road, he called out to God, God, please, could you help me? Jesus showed up again. Jesus said, what do you need? He said, Jesus, I'm out of resources. I'm, I, need you to, I need you to help me. I need some money. We've got to finish this thing. So Jesus rallied some people around him, some, some new sponsors, capped a fresh vision for what was going on. And before you know it, the man was back up and he was rolling again. Now, he was on the home stretch, his last continent. And although the end was in sight just months away at this point, the man realized that he was completely exhausted. Not so much physically exhausted, but just like mentally exhausted. And even though the end was in sight, the man just got to a place where he just felt like, I can't go any further. I, I just, I don't know if I can do this. I, I'm just, I'm completely wrung out. So he called out to God. Jesus showed up one final time. <laughs> Jesus said, what do you need? The man said, I am just beaten down. I, I, I need inspiration, Jesus. Could you inspire me? I need like the greatest pep talk you can possibly give me. I don't know if I can finish this race. And so Jesus sat down with the man and he began to explain to the man that if he finished this thing, if he met his goal, what kind of inspiration he would be to others. He helped the man to see how he would be able to go and talk to thousands and thousands of adults and children and explain to them that if you have some sort of dream that God has given you, You can run after that and be all that God has made you to be. And so the man just became energized and alive and and just fired up again. So the man said, Jesus, thank you. This was exactly the inspiration that I needed. You're awesome, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jesus said, no problem. But is there anything else I can do for you? The man said, no. 
I'm good. I got it from here. Well, the man finished. He completed his goal in large part thanks to Jesus. Because every time that that man got close to his breaking point, where he felt like he couldn't go any further, Jesus was there to see him through. I don't know if you can relate to the story of that man's journey, but it is such a fitting description of my life. I don't know if you found yourself in the story or not. But life is like this grand journey. It's this grand adventure that we're on. And there's many miles of road where it's sunshine and fairly smooth and everything is going well. But there's also lots of unexpected stuff along the way. Lots of adversity. Lots of Spots where we're just like, what in the world are we going to do? Times, at least in my life, where I find myself completely off track, completely disoriented and turned around. And I'm calling out to Jesus for help. Or times when man, I, I, just, I, just need, I just need intervention. I need God to do something miraculous and provide for me in a way that I can't do for myself. Or I just need inspiration in my life. I'm just kind of run down and tired. And in those times, I call out to Jesus. I do. I say, Jesus, could you help me? Man, I am really going through a tough spot right now. And when I do that, in those tough moments in my life, when I call out to Jesus, my focus is just like that royal official in the story. I'm focused on one thing, and that is the immediate pressing need right in front of me. That's my sole focus, my need. Most of the time, Jesus says to me, Derek, sure, I'm happy to help. And Jesus gives me what I need. And then he asks me this question. He says, is that all you need? Is there anything else that you need? And in that moment, you know what I say? To Jesus many times. Hey, thanks Jesus so much. But I'm good. I got it from here. I appreciate it though. And I continue on in my journey. I get back behind the wheel of the car. And I continue on in this life that is filled with many pressures and stresses and tremendous responsibilities and difficulties and situations that come my way. And I head down this journey of life behind the wheel by myself. And Jesus is back at my last stop. And what is the ultimate irony for me is that as I go down this very challenging road called life, I choose to go it alone. Meanwhile, the ultimate driver, the perfect driver who knows every single road because he made it. I've left him back on the side of the road. So I'm going out and I'm facing situations in my life that require more love than I have, 
more patience than I'm capable of having, right? They require more strength than I really believe is in me. And so what I do is I push forward and I just suck it up and I just try and muster as best I can and I grip that wheel tighter and I roll on down the road. And meanwhile, don't miss this, meanwhile, the ultimate source of love and strength and patience and joy and peace and all the incredible things that I need for the journey. My source for those things is down back at the side of the road where I was last stopped. You see how crazy that is? Verse 48 captures the essence of what this story is about in my mind. Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. See, what Jesus is about here, he's like, yeah, sure, have the miracle, yeah. But here's why I'm giving it to you. The whole reason, and just think about your own life, the whole reason why Jesus comes in and in those moments of need provides comfort or intervenes or whatever Jesus does in your life and mine, the whole reason for that is not just to meet an immediate need. Did you catch that? That's so often what I'm thinking. I'm just like, thank you so much. Now I'm good. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The whole reason that I am showing myself to you, the whole reason that I am granting these requests, the whole reason that I'm doing this is ultimately so that you would come to fully believe in me. That is Jesus' ultimate goal for our lives. So that when we would come to believe in him, what that means is that we would come to put our faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God who came to this earth for us to be in a relationship with us so that we would be ever connected to the one who made us, almighty God. And ultimately, the reason that Jesus keeps answering those prayers we make along the side of the road is so that we would invite him into the car so that we would say jesus i'm so tired could you just take the wheel for a while that would be so amazing just have one question for you guys this morning that i I really want you to to wrestle with for the next few minutes when you think about your life where is jesus in relation to your life Is Jesus on a roadside somewhere waving goodbye, good luck as you travel down the road alone? Or is Jesus actually in the car to take the wheel for you, help you to find the best path, give you all the guidance and direction and fill you with everything you need to run this race well? You think about your life. Where is Jesus relative to you? Is he in your car? I want you to imagine with me for a minute how much better that drive would be if you had the ultimate driver in the car with you. How much better you'd be able to respond in situations that just require more than you can muster in and of your own strength. If you had the ultimate source of strength 
and love and joy and peace and kindness and all those things that we desperately need in our lives. Imagine how much better the drive would be if we didn't have to go it alone. Now, for those of you who are here this morning and you're hearing this and you're thinking, I've always done the drive by myself. I mean, that's really the only way to, that I've ever known how to do it. I, I just want to encourage you in something. That's totally cool if that's how you've been going. But there is a way that is so awesome. And that is actually by inviting Almighty God to join you in the car and to help you to do the things that you can't do in your own strength. If you have never invited Jesus into the car of your life, you've never invited Jesus to take the wheel in your life. In just a minute, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that because it is an unbelievably cool thing. It's the greatest move that I've ever made in my life. Now, there are others of us in this room, and um, as you were hearing my story, maybe you thought, oh my gosh, that is totally me. Maybe you're like me. And even though I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I invited him into my car about 13 years ago, what I realized is, I don't know how it happened, I turn around and all of a sudden I have kicked Jesus out. I, like, I opened the passenger side door and I was like, boom, I didn't, I didn't even know I was doing it. But Jesus is like back on the roadside somewhere and I'm driving because I got a better idea. I got a better way. We weren't going fast enough at some point. You know what I'm saying? And I know that there are many of you. And at some point you invited Jesus into the car. You said, take the wheel. This is, this is amazing. But then you look around and you're like, well, where'd Jesus go? Did I do that? Right? It happens so easily. And so what I want to encourage you today is that if you find that even though you're coming to church, even though maybe you're in one of our community groups and you're on one of our volunteer teams and, man, you're, you look all great on the outside and everything is cool and you're like, yeah, man, look at what I do, you know, for God. You realize that Jesus actually isn't in the car. Jesus is back on the side of the road. I, I got to tell you, this is a great day. It's a great day to ask Jesus to come back into the car and take the wheel once again. You know, the amazing thing about God is that God loves us so much that he doesn't force his own way in our lives. He never does. He gives us freedom. Love that is forced isn't love. It's love. True love is freely chosen. And so I just want you to realize that Jesus, he's right there asking, is there anything else that you need? Ultimately, Jesus is looking far beyond just what is our immediate request for him. He longs to come into the car, but he's not going to do that unless we invite him in. We are given the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. But the reality is, again, God isn't just going to take over. We have to want God to speak. We have to want God to take over, to take the will in our lives. And so I, I just, I cannot encourage you enough to think about where is Jesus? Is Jesus in the car or is he along the side of the road? Now, we are going to conclude this service in a very fitting way by the taking of Holy Communion. And I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and, uh, and grab the elements that they need and, and take their places. But here's what I want to do, because 
I want to make sure that every single one of us in this room understands why it is that we take communion. Like, what is the significance of this little wafer, this piece of bread, and what is the significance of dipping it into, not drinking it, don't try and drip, drink the cup when, it, when, it, when it's your turn to take communion, okay? Of dipping it into the cup. What, what is the significance of that, all right? So I want to try and explain this to you using just 10 words, okay? In 10 words, I want to try and give you the essence of the Christian faith, the, what this all means, why we take communion, and what Christianity is all about. Now, I'm going to use 10 words to do this. This is not an original idea. Um, we actually had a Graceland training for all of our kids' volunteers yesterday, and um, we had a, just a tremendous uh, guy who came out and just poured out some incredible wisdom to us, and he had this really cool tool. And I, and I was like, wow, that, that was so neat. He let us do this exercise. And it was a great reminder of exactly what Christianity is all about and, and why we believe what we believe. And so I want you guys to, to join me in this little 10-word uh, activity. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Everybody stand up. I need your full participation in this. If you don't participate, it's not going to be as cool, okay? So that's on you. It's totally, you know, it's up to you how you want to do it. But there's, there's, some, there's some hand motions that we do. It's not weird hand motions, okay? So just don't worry. You'll be fine. Just trust me, okay? I don't like cheesy stuff, all right? So here's the 10 words. This is the essence of the Christian faith. And you guys, you can put those down and do it too if you want. Um, all right, so I want you to start. We're going to start with the first two words, God loves. I want you to take your hands all the way out like this, and I want you to put, kind of intertwine your fingers together. Got to fly on me. Okay. So um, this is how it starts. So God loves us. God created us and desires for us to be in a relationship with him, together with him. But we have sinned. Take your hand out to the side like this. We have sinned. This fly is wanting to be involved in this activity, and I don't like it one bit, okay? <laughs> so we have sinned. There's not one of us in this room if, if you, you know, that is mistake-free. There's not one of us who can say that we've lived a perfect life. We've all messed up. And in the sight of a perfect, holy, almighty God, we are not worthy to stand in his presence because of the mistakes that we have made in our lives. If there's anyone who's mistake-free, please see me after the service. I want to meet you. Desperately, I want to meet you. Okay? Now, so what happens next is Jesus died. Don't worry. Hit your neighbor. It's fine. It's, it'll be worth it. It's worth it. Okay? Anybody's arms getting tired yet? Okay, that's good. So Jesus died for us, right? He was hung on a cross, and he died for our sins. Jesus paid the price for us. There was a penalty for the sin that took place in this world, and Jesus said, I'm going to live the perfect life, and I'm going to die on a cross to satisfy the need for justice for all these sins. All right? Now, take one hand and move it back into the middle. So God forgave. God forgave us, you and me, for everything we've ever done and ever will do. And then finally, we accept. We are brought back into a relationship with God, not because of anything that we've done, okay? Not because of anything we have done, but solely because Jesus Christ came and died for us, for our sins. And we are restored into this incredible relationship with God. Okay, you can put your hands down now, all right? So if you'd bow your heads with me, just where you are, 
and then we are going to take communion and close the service. Lord God, uh, in this journey, this crazy journey that we call life, we just want to stop right now and thank you for all the times that we have cried out to you and you have either given us peace, you have given us guidance, you have intervened in a way and answered prayer. Yeah. And all the ways that you've met us along the way, we thank you for every one of those times. But God, we realize right here and now that while our immediate focus is on the need, the immediate pressing need in front of us, God, you are focused so much higher, so much greater than that. God, you see way beyond that one pressing need to our ultimate need to have you in the car with us, for you to take the wheel, for you to lead us down that right path, for you to give us strength and love and, and everything that we need to endure this journey we call life. As we come forward and we take communion this morning, we thank you for your body represented by that bread that was broken for us. We thank you when we dip it into the cup that that's your blood poured out for us, for our sins, so that we could be restored into a right relationship with you. But God, I just pray right now you would impress in every single person's mind that, that this is so much more than just securing a spot up in heaven somewhere. That this ultimately, God, you have done this because you desire just like we clasped our hands together in that final two words. You desire to be in a relationship with us. You desire to join us on the journey and never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I pray there would be tons of people right now who would either, for the very first time, would put their faith in you, Jesus, would invite you into their car, or would realize that they left you just like I have left you on the roadside somewhere. Jesus, I'm inviting you back into my car. We thank you and we celebrate what you have done. It humbles us and it lifts us. And God, now as we come forward to celebrate communion, we just want to say thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As you feel led, and don't feel like you have to, but as you feel led, please come forward and receive communion.